When we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit and earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and was he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer brought Paul and Silas out. He asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all the others in his house. And immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. This weekend, as we continue in the Unforgettable Summer Series, I I can't promise you that the talk's going to be great, but I can tell you the accent's going to be unbelievable because Darren Whitehead's here. He's a great friend of this church family. He originally comes from Australia, so you're gonna really, really enjoy both the accent and the talk. For eight years, he was at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago as the teaching pastor. God's used him in a big way. Every time he opens God's word, and and we get the privilege of hearing his message this weekend. I I want you to know he, he hails now from Nashville. He was led with a small group of people to start Church of the City, and they started in two neighborhoods, and this year, they're expanding into the third. It's no surprise that God's using Darren. I'm so glad that he said yes again this summer, and I'm so glad that you chose to be here to hear this talk. Would you please help me in welcoming Darren Whitehead? everyone. It's so good to be back with you. It's been a while. It's been about a year since I've been back here, and I'm delighted to be back with you in the beautiful summer of Michigan. It's fantastic. I got to tell you that this has got to be the most extraordinary set I have ever seen. It brings a little bit of trauma for me, actually. A few, a few years ago, I was speaking at a Christian festival that was at a theme park. It was at Six Flags in Georgia. And um, if you've never been to a Christian music festival before, it's a little bit like Woodstock or Lollapalooza with maybe a few differences. But, uh, <laughs> but I, was, I was speaking, the, way, the place that they had the stage, there's like thousands and thousands of kids coming out for this. And, 
and, and they had a roller coaster that, that came down just near the stage. And as I'm making this really poignant moment, all of a sudden, just a bunch of screaming teenagers come rolling down, and it really took the edge off of what I was trying to communicate. So hopefully that won't happen today. But I've got to tell you that you have got to have the most gifted, finest set designers in all of America. I mean, my goodness. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. So uh, as you heard Brad just say, uh, if we've not met before, my name's Darren Whitehead and um, planted a church in Nashville. We, we are targeting, we're trying to reach millennials. We're trying to reach people that are the most unreached age group in America right now. And there are 100,000 college students in the city of Nashville, and 60% of them choose to stay after they graduate. So our strategy is to descend upon this city where everyone is moving to and plant churches right in the center of where they live. And uh, two years ago, we planted our first two on the same day, and then we're starting another one uh, in the fall of this year. And then we've often said, you know, because we meet in rented facilities as we're getting this thing started, and uh, people would ask us, are you going to construct a church building at some point? And we, and we would joke and we would say, we think God's just going to give us a building one day. So, uh, which is kind of an obnoxious thing to say, really. But uh, four and a half months ago, a church in town that has two church buildings, large church buildings, actually, uh, their senior pastor transitioned and they reached out to us and said, we would like to give you our buildings because what God is doing in your, in your ministry. And so it's incredible. We said, we said, we'll pray about that. Okay, that sounds great. So, and I've got to say that almost every weekend, someone from Northridge visits us and it's just delightful to my heart to see so many of you who are uh, on your way to Florida or wherever to go to the beach and you stop by Nashville and you come say, hey, people at the end of the service are like, hey, we're from Northridge. It feels like family are coming to check on us to see we're still breathing and all of that, you know. But it's delightful to me and uh, I just feel like you guys are like my second home and I just love you. So thanks so much. We're really having a good time. I want to begin by sharing uh, an, an article that appeared in a Florida newspaper recently um, about, is that someone from Florida? Someone pretty excited about that. I, I want to I read, because it, it, it kind of sets up where we're going to be going today. Let me read you this. A man was working on a motorcycle on his patio, and his wife was in the house in the kitchen. The man was racing the engine on the motorcycle, and somehow the motorcycle slipped into gear. The man, still holding the handlebars, was dragged through a glass patio door, and the motorcycle dumped onto the floor inside the house. The wife, hearing the crash, ran into the dining room and found her husband lying on the floor, cut and bleeding, the motorcycle lying next to him, and the patio door shattered. The wife ran, into the, ran to the phone and summoned an ambulance because they lived on a fairly large hill. The wife went down several flights of long steps to the street to direct the paramedics to her husband. After the ambulance arrived and transported the husband to the hospital, the wife uprighted the motorcycle and pushed it outside. Seeing that gas had spilled on the floor, the wife obtained some paper towels, blotted up the gasoline, and threw the towels on the toilet. The husband was treated at the hospital and was released to come home. After coming home, he looked at the shattered patio door and the damage done to his motorcycle, and he became despondent and went to the bathroom, sat on the toilet, and smoked a cigarette. 
After finishing the cigarette, he flipped it between his legs into the toilet bowl while still seated. The wife, who was in the kitchen, heard a loud explosion and her husband screaming. She ran into the bathroom, found her husband lying on the floor. He had been blown through the shower doors, his trousers had been blown away, and he was suffering burns on the buttocks and the back of his legs. Can we say buttocks? I think we just did. Uh, The wife again ran to the phone and called for an ambulance. The same ambulance crew was dispatched, and the wife met them on the street. The paramedics loaded the husband onto the stretcher and began carrying him down to the street. While they were going down to the stairs, the street to the, the stairs to the street, accompanied by the wife, one of the paramedics asked the wife how the husband had burned himself. She then told him, and the paramedics started laughing so hard that one of them tipped the stretcher and dumped the husband out. He fell down the remaining steps and broke his arm. Now that's a bad day. And you people are laughing. What is wrong with you? I was talking to Brad a couple of weeks ago on the phone and we were talking about this weekend. And I said to him that I had an impression that I wanted to run by him. I had an impression that was on my heart about what I wanted to come and share. And I said to him, I have a feeling that there are some people at Northridge that need to hear a word from God because they're having more than just a bad day. They're having a season in their life which is really, really difficult right now. And it is a disproportionately difficult time that they're going through. They would define this season as a really tough time. Something has happened in a relationship that has put a level of tension, this complexity or conflict or whatever, and and that's what you're going through. Or there has been a financial challenge that you are facing and it has put such pressure on your life. The amount of stress that you're carrying is very, very difficult. Or there has been some sort of health issue that has come up with you or someone that you love and it has become really, really difficult for you and you're having more than a bad day. And in church today, you need to hear from God because it's really tough. If you brought a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Acts 16. Uh, You might have a smartphone as well. You can look it up on that or a smartphone. Um, You can look that up as well. Some of you just understood me for the first time. This is a really interesting account. We heard it beautifully read a little earlier in the service, but Paul and Silas have got this whole experience where they are in Philippi, which is a Roman province. It's on European soil. They're sort of outside of their comfort zone, and they meet this businesswoman named Lydia. Lydia was a successful businesswoman. They led her to Christ, and then she was helping this missionary group get established in Philippi. And so... Paul and Silas and a couple of others, probably Timothy, maybe Luke as well, they were staying with Lydia and they were heading over to the temple every day. Several days they're going back and forth. A young girl who was a slave, she was a a fortune teller of sorts, uh, a clairvoyant or someone who reads tarot cards, something like that. Uh, She had a gift to predict the future. She starts following them around, and she says, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. I think that that started out pretty good, and they were enjoying that, and they're going, this is like a personal cheerleader who's following us around. 
But after a few days, it started to get a little bit old. The, the, the cheers were continuing. And perhaps in a moment of frustration, Paul turns around and he looks at her and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her, speaking to the spirit. So the spirit comes out and then the slave owners are upset because she's not able to do what she was doing before. They can't make money with her anymore. So the slave owners, they grab Paul and Silas and they drag them into the marketplace to to face the authorities. They go to the magistrate and they say, these men are Jews, they're foreigners, and they're throwing our city into an uproar. Verse 22 says, the crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. This feels like a little bit disproportionate retaliation, doesn't it? I mean, these guys are just quietly going about their work. They're doing kingdom work. And they pray over a girl, essentially. And then now they're about to be arrested and have uh, their robes taken off and beaten. And that's what happened. You ever been in a situation where it escalates to the point where you're just astonished? It's some sort of conflict with someone and it rises to the point where you just go, I can't believe that it's going to this level. These guys were peacefully going about their work and now it's got to the point where they're being arrested and beaten. Luke is the, is the, the, the writer of the book of Acts and Luke was an educated guy. He was a doctor, a physician. Whenever you see a description from a doctor that is of, of a physical nature, you know that it's a very informed decision. The, the, the phrase that Luke uses in verse 23, it says, after they have been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. I just want to tell you about the, the idea of, of the way that they were flogged, the way that they were beaten with rods. It's, it's a very specific technique. It's different to scourging. If you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, that technique is called scourging. Jesus was scourged. That was a whip that had a long piece of leather or multiple pieces of leather, and it had bits of broken glass and sharp stones and metal that were in the back, at the end of it. And, and it was designed by a, a military personnel or a retired military officer would be one who scourged someone. And they would hit them, and it was designed to actually stick into their back, and then as they pull it, it actually tears sheets of flesh off the back of someone. That's called scourging. This is different. This is, with a, with a rod, it would be a long rod, and what they would do is they would expose someone's back or the back of their legs, and then this retired military personnel or, or a military officer would be trained to hit someone in the same place over and over again. So they would hit them across the back, and then what would happen is the flesh would compress under the pressure, it would start to bruise, then you hit them again, it would start to welt, and then eventually, the, the constant pressure in the same place, the flesh, the skin would actually split open. This is not where it would be cut, it would actually split under the pressure. Now this causes the kind of scars that never, never completely go away because the, of the way that it, was, the way that it happened. It would, it would take a long time for these wounds to heal, and, uh, and there would be severe scarring from this. And what they would do, the whole technique is that you hit in the same place, same place, same place, till the skin splits, and then you find a new place, and you start doing it again. Absolutely excruciating. And these guys, who were going about their work peacefully, 
are now being beaten in, in some of the most brutal, inhumane ways that human beings have managed to come up with in human history. And now these guys who probably would not be able to walk now because of the way that the back of their legs have been beaten would be dragged like, like corpses. They would be dragged into the prison cell. I, I just share that because sometimes we miss sort of the understanding, oh, they were beaten, you know? Like these guys, this was absolutely excruciating. After they've been severely flogged, verse 23, they were thrown into the prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Verse 24, when they received these orders... They put them in the inner cell and additionally fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's just review for a second. These guys come to Philippi as missionaries. They're really trying to establish the movement of God. They're trying to build the church there. They have this incredible conversion experience with Lydia, this businesswoman. And she houses them and she helps them. And they, they have this little encounter with this, with this girl. They pray over her and now... They're being dragged into a prison cell, so much so that they're not, it says the inner cell. It's not just the casuals, this is the cell. Inside the cell, their legs are fastened, and there is a guard that is put out the front. This feels so disproportionate. This is such an overreaction to all of this. Verse 25 says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What would you do if you've just been beaten within an inch of your life? What would you do? I mean, this is, this is kind of crazy here, right? I mean, these guys can't walk, and they're laying on a prison cell, and they're praying, laying on the floor, and they're praying, and they're singing hymns to God. I'll tell you what I would do. I'd be looking over at, 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 at who I was with, you know, Paul and Silas. I'd be going, listen, Silas, why did we even engage with that girl? Why did we not just ignore her? How did we get to this? You know, there is, a, there is an idea that is pervasive in church circles. That if you're going through difficult circumstances, it's because you have done something wrong or you're out of God's will. We often equate comfortable, easy living with God's blessing or God's favor. We, we often equate prosperity with just God's favor. It's the, it's the goodness of God. But in this text, we clearly see two men who have been utterly faithful. Now they've been stripped, beaten, and thrown into prison. Maybe following Jesus is not about avoiding pain, but embracing Jesus in the middle of pain. Verse 25, again, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. It's an interesting little narrative there. The other prisoners were listening to them. Imagine being a, another prisoner that's there. You're just kind of hanging out, and a couple of guys get dragged in the cell next to you and dropped. It's midnight. You're probably trying to sleep. What did those other prisoners hear? Hey, Silas. Silas. Yeah. You okay, dude? 
This one was the worst yet. That guy just beat my legs. I don't know if I'll ever walk again. How you doing? The stocks on my left ankle are compressing an open wound. And I might pass out at any minute. The pain is so great. Silas. Yeah. You still in for building the church? Oh, absolutely. And when I read this, I imagine... How did they move into the point of starting to sing? Is Paul like lifting up his back and he gets up onto his elbows? He's just leaning back. And you just hear him whisper, God help us. And then the silence of midnight in a prison cell is punctured by this beaten man and he lifts his voice and he sings Savior he can move the mountains my God is mighty to save He is mighty to save. And Silas has a surge of inspiration because he hears Paul singing. And he too takes a breath and he lifts his voice with Paul. Forever, author of salvation. He rose from the grave. Jesus rose from the grave. And the other prisoners who were in the cell are hearing the most astonishing thing that they've ever heard. Two men who can't even walk, who've been dragged in and dropped on a prison cell, the Spirit of God is so alive in them that they lift their voices and they start to sing of the goodness of God in the middle of that difficult time, in the middle of their agony, they start to sing. We will not subscribe to a theology that is shallow or is incomplete. That just because we have difficulties in our lives, we must be out of God's will. Paul and Silas would say no, no. In difficult times, we get to worship at midnight. In the middle of the darkness, in an inner cell, with their feet in stocks and a guard outside, their bodies are chained and their voices are free. And the cell is filled with midnight worship. And the other prisoners are listening. The other prisoners are listening to what's going on. You see, it might be possible that God is going to use you most in the most difficult season of your life. And some of you are in that season right now. 
tough times are inevitable for us. We can't avoid them, but we can use them to bring glory to God. You see, midnight worship sounds different. People who are worshiping at midnight sing differently. It's a declaration that we worship a God who is bigger than what we are going through. Worship is easy when life is going great. We can sing of God's goodness. We can sing of God's faithfulness without a sense of fear or anxiety, without a sense of not knowing what's going to happen. We can just sing of God's provision and his healing and his goodness. It's good. But when difficult times come in, when we're in a season of such fear or such uncertainty or such grief, our worship takes on a whole new meaning. When the bottom falls out of your life, when that unthinkable thing happens, when you face that challenge, in the middle of your fear and your grief and your disappointment and your sadness, in the middle of your anxiety, when you still sing to a faithful God, that is midnight worship. Verse 26 says, suddenly there, was, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. These guys start worshiping and it's so extraordinary that the ground starts to reverberate and things start to shake There is so much power when we worship at midnight. There is power that comes from another world when we worship at midnight. A couple of years ago, when I was still on staff at Willow Creek, it's backstage about to go out for a service and someone came running in and they said, one of the other pastors on staff here One person I was very close to. In fact, he was a pastor and his wife was on staff as well. They said their 19-year-old daughter, a a girl that I knew very well when I led the student ministry years ago, she was one of the student leaders. She'd been in a car accident, a serious car accident. She'd been life-flighted to the nearest hospital. I immediately was able to cut out of my responsibilities in the service and I just went up to the hospital. When I showed up, I was one of the first to get there. The mother and father were standing there and I'll never forget looking at them and just seeing tears streaming down their face, just sobbing. Over the next several minutes, more and more and more people arrived and before long, both sides of the hallway were just lined with with teenagers, lined with people. So much so that someone in the hospital had to actually move us all. There were so many people gathering. They said, this is unsafe. We need to move you to the chapel. They had a large chapel. And in probably the next hour, this chapel was completely filled with teenagers who were praying. And they were circling up in clusters and they were holding hands and some were on their knees with their hands raised and they were sobbing and they were just crying out for the life of this girl, their friend. Incidentally, the father, who was a pastor, before he became a pastor, he was an emergency room doctor. He worked in the trauma unit. He was very familiar with this. 
So we're praying and we got word that her vitals were returning. And people started to pray with even more intensity. And a few minutes later, her dad walked into the room and a hush fell across the entire chapel and we all just fixed our eyes on him and he said two words. She's gone. And I will never forget the sound of just grief breaking out. Hope and faith just evaporated in an instant and there was just wailing and moaning and sobbing and people collapsing in one another's arms. I'll never forget the sound of that grief. Some of you have experienced something like that and you never forget it. Over the next several weeks, it was such a difficult time for our church as we walked through this season of grieving, losing this precious 19-year-old girl. And I remember the funeral because every funeral is sad, right? But a, a teenager dying is tragic and we look out in an auditorium that was large and there was just a sea of teenagers just with such sadness and despair. But what I'll never forget was a couple of weeks later, we were in a, in a worship service in church and I got up to lead a prayer at the end and I got up before the song was done and I was looking out across the place and as I was walking up, I caught a glimpse of this mother and father who were, who were standing and they were singing. And they had their heads tilted towards heaven and they had tears streaming down their face and they had their hands in the air. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. And I thought, that's the most powerful thing I've ever seen. in the midst of immense grief, in the midst of waves of sadness just washing upon them and the, and the pit in their, in their stomach of this loss, they are turning to heaven and saying, God, you're still faithful and we still love you. And it took my breath away. You see, midnight worship gets the attention of heaven. I just got to believe that when, when people are going through the most difficult times of their lives and they come before, when they gather with God's people and they worship, all of heaven is looking on and saying, look at the faithfulness of these people. Midnight worship gets the attention of heaven. Midnight worship gets the attention of other people too. Look in verse 27. The jailer woke up when he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights. This is all in pitch black. They rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He realized that they had a power from another world. 
He brought them out and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Midnight worship is so powerful that even people around them are looking on at the power. I've been coming back and forth to Northridge for a while now, for several years. First time I came here, the first few times I came here, I didn't really know anyone here. I was like the guest guy that just showed up and, you know, shared a message. But I've come back so many times now, I, I have some really good friends here. I have people that, that know me and people that I know well in, in, in this church. And I know some of you have been through some really difficult times in these last few years. I know people who have experienced unthinkable loss. I know people who have gone through serious illness or financial challenges. And I have seen midnight worship in this church. I've seen midnight worshipers here at Northridge and it has been something beautiful to see. You ever noticed in Ephesians 5 verse 19 it says speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs? What an odd thing. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. It's like there is this horizontal component to our worship that somehow when we sing we're actually reminding one another of the promises of God. That when we sing, we actually take the anthems of faith and we sing them over one another. And when our faith is wavering, when we are getting plagued with doubt or disappointment or fear, we are reminded, we are bolstered by the people of God singing over us. Sometimes when people have a difficult time, their their instinct is to withdraw from church. And that is exactly the wrong thing to do. When you're going through a difficult time, you need to be with the people of God. You need to be surrounded by brothers and sisters. You need to draw strength from the people of God singing of the faithfulness of God. When my daughter, Sydney, was born, it was nine years ago, she turned nine last week, and She was just five pounds when she was born. She was a tiny, tiny little baby. And uh, the pediatrician, after a week or so, uh, was listening to her heart, and she said, there's something wrong with her heart, and you need to go see a a pediatric cardiologist. Brandy, my wife, and I were terrified, and we went down, and we saw this cardiologist, and the cardiologist checked out my little girl, and he said... As she may not make it, she may die. I just need to prepare you for the options here. She may die. She may have open heart surgery, which is very traumatic for a, a baby. Or this, this heart condition, the hole in her heart may actually close over naturally. But this is not a small hole. This is a significant hole in her heart. I was absolutely terrified. I remember holding my little girl and just praying, and she was so small, and I was just praying over her, God, please don't take my little girl. I'll never forget going to church for the first time 
in the midst of all of this. We were not able to check her into the children's ministry because we couldn't run the risk of her getting some sort of illness from another kid, so we just had to hold her the whole time. And I'm standing at the back of the church and I'm holding my little girl. And I'm absolutely terrified that we're going to lose her. And in a moment that I will never forget, everyone stood and they started to sing, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I'm standing there and I can't even sing. But something happened in me when the great anthem of the church was sung. It was sung over me and in my fear, I started to lift my voice and sing of the faithfulness of God. You see, I need you. And you need me. We need each other. We're in this together, right? And we have good times and we have difficult times. But in difficult times, don't exit the place. Stay in community. Stay with the people of God. You need to draw strength from other people in difficult times. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Last thing I want to say in verse 26. It says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Isn't that interesting? Everyone's chains came loose. It wasn't just the people that were singing. It wasn't like the, the guys that were singing in a difficult time, that was the magic formula and the, the, the chains popped off and they were good. No, it was people that were around them too. People that were around them were set free. My wife is a social worker and she's worked primarily with single homeless mums in the last 10 years. And single mums are just some of the most heroic people that I know. It is so hard to raise young kids on your own. And some of these mums... Some of these mums are working a couple of jobs and they're, they're studying online at night because they want a different future for their kids and they're doing everything they can to get through it. My wife was running a program that helped with housing for single homeless mums and a couple of times a year they would gather them together. And I'd get to go along and just watch. I wasn't in charge of leading anything, I'd just watch. And sometimes I would see these mums who were working so hard just to get through another day. I mean, the daily grind of just getting through another day was so difficult. And I'll never forget, we'd have this worship time, and I'd see some of these moms, and a big smile would come across their face, and they would look up to heaven, and they would just start to sing. And you know what happened? I was set free. It gave me perspective, right? Like I think that my life is so difficult and I see someone whose life is so much more challenging than mine and they're worshiping the goodness of God and thanking God for who he is and I was set free just watching them. You see, midnight worship gets the attention of heaven. 
Midnight worship gets the attention of other people. Midnight worship sets people free. I've seen some beautiful midnight worship here. The unforgettable thing that I want you to know this summer is that if you are in a season of midnight, when you worship, you access a power from another world. Now, there are people here who are in a season of midnight right now, and I want to pray for you. And there are people that you love who are in a season of midnight right now, and I want to pray for you guys as well. So if you find yourself in a season of midnight, I want you just to stand. And if you want to stand on behalf of someone that you love who is in a really difficult season right now, I want to invite you to stand as well. Let's do this. All over this place and at Brighton as well, who are joining us. If you would stand either for yourself or for someone that you love. Let's pray. God, we, we pray. Collectively, as your people, we pray for those who are in a season of midnight in a difficult time, God. And we pray that there would be a sense of inspiration that comes from the Word of God as we see exemplified before us Paul and Silas in such a difficult time in their life, turning their attention to you and singing and praying about your goodness and your faithfulness. So we stand on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of people that we love, and we pray for them. And we pray that midnight worship may break out all over this place, all over Northridge and the family of churches that, that, that indicative of Northridge would be people who worship at midnight. They worship even in difficult times that we may actually access power that comes from a whole nother world. Lord, as your eyes are moving to and fro throughout the earth, I pray that you may strongly support those hearts who are completely yours in difficult times. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand. If you're not standing, would you, would you join us standing? Some of you, this is your first time here. Or it's the first time you've been in a church environment in a long time and uh, you would like to begin a relationship with Jesus or maybe you would like to return to a relationship with Jesus. You've lost your way and you want to come back home. I want to encourage you to fill out the little connection card that you got on the way in and uh, someone from the church would love to follow up with you this week and, and journey with you as you make a a choice as you have a moment of clarity and you're saying, this is what I need to do. At the end of our service, we're gonna, we're gonna worship together. But the end of our service, there's gonna be a, a whole team of people down here that would love to pray with you. And if you are in a season of midnight and you would like to pray with someone, there'll be people down the front here. And uh, the same is at Brighton as well. People will be down the front that would love to, to worship with you. The unforgettable thing that I wanna leave with you guys 
is that if you are in a season of midnight, God has not forgotten you. He sees you. And even in your fear and even in your anxiety, turn your attention to the one who is good and utterly faithful. And as you engage in midnight worship, let's see what God does. Amen. So good to be with you guys this weekend. God bless you.